Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into another installment. Happy, happy! Of the KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. First off, I want to thank everyone, the new people who have liked the uh, our Facebook fan page, KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc fan page on uh, Facebook. The numbers blew up over, over Sunday, and honestly, I'm not really sure why. But uh, we got a, almost doubled our likes in 24 hours. Uh, a high school classmate said she had something to do with that. She shared the page with her friends. So that's part of it. And thank her very much. And she knows that I, I thanked her earlier today when I was at work. Definitely. <laughs> so I, cause I talked to her. I asked her <laughs> questions about it. So she, she told me that she did <laughs> share the page. So I thanked her already. So the text that I sent you was, uh, was okay? So uh, About to reply? I haven't seen her in, since fall trip. So. But uh, kudos to her. But this, it, you know, it's very, very gratifying. At least she knows what you're doing. And she, oh, and I also wants to tell you, gentlemen, that she said our podcasts are amazing. So it's always good to receive some kudos and positive feedback. We're doing what we can. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing okay. I'm happy today. Doc, how are you, sir? I'm doing. I'm doing well. And right off the bat, let's get right into this. How can folks find each of you on the internet? They can find me at thd-agency.com, uh, thd-agency.com. They can go to the collegesportingnews.com during the fall season where I provide HBCU sports on Inside the HBCU Huddle weekly report, as well as during the basketball season, you can go to the Houston Round Ball Review, that's the hrr.com in regards to basketball updates on HBCU sports with uh, inside the HBCU huddle during the basketball season, both men's and women. Um, and you can follow me on the social media platform, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Sir, Wildcat. Wildcat. You can find me online at the, uh, in the social media at uh, on Twitter, TweetDeck, Blogspot, Blogger, Face, uh, Facebook, at Facebook and Twitter, and TweetDeck, I am JL Woodley One. Blogger is the College Sports Report Blogspot.com. And I am KG, as Doc mentioned, of the Houston Round Bar Review website is www.thrr.com, as well as Houston Round Ball Review.com. Houston Round Bar Review. On Instagram, Houston Round Bar Review. On YouTube, a little, little bit different on Twitter. It's T H E H R Review. Shows how long I've been on Twitter. Didn't have the, I think, the full length of the names back then when I was on it. But anyway, it's T H E H R Review. What do you want to talk about first? I like to destroy Jason Kidd if I could, but that's leave up to you guys. What y'all want to talk about first? <clears throat> first, we got to talk about the World Cup and, and the and the, the flop. flop. I mean, hey, uh, you, we got to go it, there. The end result was what? Their end result was what? What was the end result? Mexico went on. All right. Our neighbors went on. Okay. But that doesn't, the friend calls it out. It was a flop. Now he took advantage. He sold the call. We see it all the time in basketball. But I wonder moving forward, how quickly is he going to get a whistle in terms of a a near trip or something like that that may be a little more egregious? It's obviously that they missed the call early. I think it was interesting that he essentially. Uh, fail on kicks 
And let's, uh, Three and times let's, during the game. Let's say. First one. We're talking about Arjun Robin for the Netherlands. Yes, Mr. Robin. And so the first time, I think, was the penalty that they missed. The second time, uh, near before the first half, was a flop. And he actually admitted that that was a flop. And they didn't call it. And then the third time was one that they called, uh, which is similar to what I hear in basketball. And I know you have two versions. You have people that say a foul in the first two minutes should be called just like a foul in the last two minutes. And then you have others that say we need to look at the time and place of the game. And unless it's an egregious foul, that you should swallow your whistle at the end of the game. I'm of the person that believes in that platform. I mean, we differ. I'm of the opinion a foul is a foul is a foul. There you go. That's why we should have the discussion. It's out there, but I think whatever, and that's why there's a conflict, you know, amongst all three entities: sideline, players, and the officials, because it's it's set up that way. You know, people that the the coaches the coaches have a have a have a venue, have a eyesight and a venue and an opinion. Players have a different one. And the officials have the other. Uh, what's called at the beginning of the game is going to be called at the end of the game. A foul is a foul. A flop is a flop. On different levels, end results bring out different fines of uh, uh, penalties and uh, what you know. In, in soccer, you get what is it, free kick? Yeah, if it's inside the box, yeah. you get a penalty kick. And in the NBA, it's a uh, foul and a and a yeah. I think it's like the flagrant call. Call. And in some cases, I think uh, you may be able to need to do like you do in basketball and review it, make the call, then you review it on tape to verify that you see what you saw, which is still my point. The overall point I'm trying to make is, and that's how I see it. But the point. That I'm saying is is also what's more important of whether you see the foul at the beginning or at the end is consistency. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. problem I have with his call, there was no consistency. If you let that play go early in the game, that was more egregious than that. The player is going to play at that level the rest of the game. They'll adjust. Trust me, they'll adjust. No, they won't because you didn't call it earlier. That's the point I'm trying to make. How are you going to adjust if you said that the way he played the ball earlier was not a foul then he played it again the second time. It was not a foul. Then all of a sudden on the third time, you're saying it's a foul. I'm suggesting that more importantly, not only in terms of how I feel about a foul, but it needs to be egregious. And if you you need to have some consistency as a referee, umpire, what have you. That's what frustrates any coach more than anything, and fans in particular, is when you're inconsistent. And there's no question about that game in terms of how he was calling the penalty, that he was inconsistent. Because, again, it was a worse call, and everybody saw it. They watched the game on the first one. There was not called a penalty when many people thought it was. So now you're dictating the way the player's going to play the ball. And he's playing at that level of aggression the rest of the game. And I agree with you regarding consistency. It's up to the officials to be consistent throughout the game. So... I think we can, we we're kind of combining our viewpoints. If they call a foul, call fouls early in the game, based on however physical or whatever, then they call the same fouls throughout the game. That's my biggest. Point. You know, that's I agree with that. 
uh, you know, as you pointed out, Robin did say he was quoted saying that he did admit to a dive in the first half, second but the call. the call in the final minutes in the second half, he said was was legit, was a perfectly called play. He was not, he was fouled. To me, he looked like he was flying out of an airplane. Yeah, he, he sold the call. So like those, I said, for know, those that are basketball fans, you see this all the time in regards to where somebody gets cuts and he sells the call. And from that standpoint, I'm fine with it. I mean, you are you you know you had a right to sell the call um, because he did get nipped, and I think that's without a question. But my biggest concern with that is is the consistency that you make that call, particular. And I know people don't like to hear this, but particular late in the game, you have to be even more consistent than you were early in the game because the players are playing at that same level. And that's the point where I'm saying early and late in the game is the consistency component of making sure that when you make a call that it's egregious. Kudos to the United States for advancing to the knockout stage, getting out of the group of death. A tough one tomorrow. As all three of us said, we didn't believe they would. But they're only what? It's winnable. Yeah. And it, it, it's and tough. It, it's tough. And if you look at it on paper, you don't win games on paper. That's but right. If you That's why you play. Paper from what those uh, big time fans, they have six, seven players that are playing in the premiership. Mm-hmm. So they're talented. They're young. What usually oftentimes gets United States, and you give them credit for, is they play. With a level of passion and intensity that many people will say is second to none when you look at most countries playing this level, a lot of times allows them to play with teams that are more talented. But what's unique in this game is many people believe that this is the most talented team for Belgium in their, in their era of playing soccer. It is also a young team. So a young team is the type of team a lot of times we'll talk about, and you're aware of this, is that they have nothing to lose either because they don't know they're not supposed to be good yet for it. So a lot of times they're going to play with that same level of intensity. And that's why I think this game becomes so interesting from that, that framework. And the match takes place 3 p.m. Tuesday on ESPN. You got the shirt? I'm not sure. Uh, that's the other thing. I'm waiting until uh, in the morning. To, I Find got out three, what color? What color? Right. I, got, I got three. You got them laid up? I got three. Three Nothing shades later. Nothing well, wrong with it. You no, know, maybe end up wearing all three. Yeah, of don't them. don't wear what you wore when they played. Oh no, because uh-uh. that, that, <laughs> that was that, a draw. That, so that did that, no good. No, we actually lost. We got. Wait, we lost. That's right. You know, you know. So don't wear that one. That's in the Washington. Yeah, don't wear that one. You got two left then. So don't wear that one. Not being seen right now. It's knockout. It's the knockout stage now. So yeah, you know, win or go home. So you know, so you got two left to wear. So. So what are your predictions? Well, ride, ride or die with my country. What's score? Two one. Let's go with two one. And penalty. I'm lo- I'm looking for. I hope it. I I'm looking for penalty kicks. I, okay, I, me personally. But, two one. But go ahead. You don't like the penalty. It's, I love the penalty. Kick. It's 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 drama filled, etc. Yeah, That's why I love it. You know, you it's, like, it's, it's, but it's, it's, you play all that you, way you look at the game. to you, end you up going one on one. I just don't like that. I mean, just play till somebody hey, scores. Right on my now. You know, your goalie, your like your, your GK. Now I'll tell GK. you this: my favorite part about the World Cup, though, uh, World Cup, I must admit, is when they cut to the stands after a big play or a goal, <laughs> and the reaction <laughs> of the team that actually scored a goal, they just are uh, looking crazy of joy. 
And then they'll fan to a team <laughs> that had the goal scored upon them. And they just a flat. I, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it tickles me to death because there's so much emotion. Without a doubt. And the reason I say that to me, for people that don't really follow soccer, this is the way and that Colton. I kind of see it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Is, is the way I see it. The World Cup, in a lot of ways, is like the NFL on steroids from the stand pack. That the first round is is like the regular season. But you do it over a two-week team, two-week time, and you have these round robins where you play all three teams. And then you get into the playoff stage, which is basically the final 16. So it's like you wrapping up a 16th season in two weeks versus two things. And that's why I say it's on steroids. Uh, but it, it, it's crazy. And the only other thing I can say is a lot of that has to do uh, with how popular uh, the Premier League is in, in regards to in England. And, and a part about that is how they've become truly international, which is similar to NBA, which will be interesting to me. Will they be able to pick up that national exposure piece like you see with soccer as they continue to grow the game from the standpoint that you literally have fans of the premiership all over the country because they're actually following their team and their team happens to oftentimes have a player from their city or their country at least. Um, and, and so they move around and they all with these teams such as Manchester United, you know, and so not only unlike the NBA or the NFL where you have a state that may be behind a player or, or a state and city that's behind a team, you pretty much now have a region and world behind teams. And that's why the two richest teams in the world are from soccer. One of them being United. Man. That's true. Manchester United. That's true. Man U. Man that's U. More that's, money that's, than the Yankees. That's the first soccer yep. team I've, I've heard of with Man U. Yeah. Uh, International. And... You know, everybody wears that, uh, wears that jersey. You know, that, 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 um, that's who they know and that's who they, that's who they root for. And on Saturday mornings early, you can catch people in these soccer clubs, sometimes three, four o'clock, sitting around in front of the TV. Now, Wait. This is the tough question I want to ask and want to get you on record. Which of American franchises is going to have a franchise team outside of outside North the America. Huh. What do you mean? Like is the NFL No, I, I, I understand. Spain, I understand what you're talking about. Or the NBA or Major League Baseball is playing uh, a team or a number team in Europe. I think the NBA would be, be the one. It would be easier to do. Smaller arenas. And how long do you think that will it happen? Will it happen when? It was one of Tra- David last thing. And the only reason I say that is because the amount of folks no, that you got to put, the amount of people that you you got to, you know, you have to put on a plane and go back and forth. Not so much on a regular basis, but the the, the fact that the travel won't won't be as as egregious into the pocket. They don't care about the travel. They don't want to know if the dollars make sense. But see, the, the other part of that is, <laughs> are you going to be able to keep those teams together a long enough period to build up a dollar value over there 
compared to what you got here. And well, as Chris alluded to, I think it would have happened by now by the NBA. The only thing that stopped it, in my opinion, was when uh, the marketplace, the United States, and then throughout the world fell down uh, early 2000. Uh, outside of that, um, I think they would have already have four or five franchises. So that's why I'm wondering. Yeah, it would be a Europe, it would be a European division, basically. Yeah, that was the goal. David Stern's goal, and then basically the global kind of reversed because there should be there are probably enough NBA ready arenas overseas internationally to accomplish to accommodate five teams in the division in the European division so within the next 10 years I think Adam Silver will try to get that done and that's the reason I was looking at five arenas that's that's NBA ready right now yeah yeah you're serious? The Euro League over there is serious. Yeah. Outside of, let's see, what, France, Greece, Italy, Russia, and who else? And the only reason I'm looking at, I'm looking at the dollar value of the ownership. You're talking about ownership in Japan. Okay. China. China might have five arenas, period. Because it's China. <laughs> Yao Ming, China, they got they got more money than the rest of those countries. China could probably do it, no question. Yeah, but the O2 Arena, oh, oh, that's, that's probably five that could do it. You know they're looking at and especially they could do it in, within ten year time. If they're not there, they could get it done much easier than five NFL stadiums. That's 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 much easier to have in the NBA ready arenas than an NFL ready stadium. Hmm. Interesting. Because I think that the problem with the NFL is I think you may be looking at converting some of the soccer specific stadiums, but the question is, I think you have far less of those than you have of the NBA ready arenas. Yeah. You only have two, three in the European market. And globally, the NBA is bigger than the NFL. Right. Globally. No question about it. Not even close. American football. That's why it's called American football, because internationally, soccer, is, football, is king over the world, right. not American football. But that's why NFL is so desperate in trying yes. to play in those games in London. They're trying to get their footprint, and they want they want London because they believe that's the most similar market to the United States. If they can get a foothold, and then they're hoping if they can do that, maybe they can spread from there. But that's the market that they're looking at. The NBA has more markets than teams. What about baseball? Even in the system. Baseball is losing its foothold. Yeah, here in the states. Here in the states. <laughs> you know, and that's that's the other sad part about that. Uh, and, as, as and much he, as they are trying to European wise, no. As much as they are trying to Asia, possibly get into the neighborhood, you know, and revamp, you know, the the little leagues and and all and they are. Or just through the RBI program, it's not enough of those type of academies available that are uh, well, that, that's just got the, the I, influx of kids coming on a regular basis. Right. And, and I, I think the the academies have done what they want to do in terms of providing the pipeline for 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 the athletes. But I think what's along with what you're talking about is the fact that the 
the economy of those developmental countries are not there outside of Japan, which has a huge baseball. It has its own league. It has its own history. The only problems I heard about Japan is that you have a major problem with the ownership in Japan actually in reinvesting in the teams. They don't treat them like you see their reinvestment component over here in the States. So those are kind of the issues you have. Oddly enough, there's actually like three or four college teams that actually play baseball in Japan, which is similar to American college. You just have one program um, that uh, does not win. And so the winning component of, of that you see in terms of facility engagement, or as we call over here in the United States, is not the same as Japan. But I think that's the closest market you're looking at. Hmm. Let's get into uh, the saga that is Mr. Kidd. And I should no longer refer to him as Mr. First of all, is he, that is a, has he lost that his... Is a, I use the term of respect, Mr. And I don't respect him anymore. For has he, has he lost his mind? Well, first of all, what other than him being selfish and envious of what's going on around him, what was his other motive for doing... Power. For, 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 but but we all have a, a power egos. I mean, we all try and fly. But but uh, but to the level to what he did, not like what, kids. Obviously, he, it wasn't so much that he wanted to take somebody else's job. He wanted to to be in charge of that person and have dominion over that person. And, and am I wrong? It's basically what he what he attempted to do with uh, uh, the 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 GM that's in charge of. Billy King. Billy King. Billy King with the Brooklyn Nets. And he just happened to have an owner that put his foot down and said, I don't think so. I don't see this any different than what you see all the time. The GMs and owners, they're doing the same thing. So it's a doggy dog world. Not that I like it. Not that I approve of it. And I do want to hear your commentary uh, of what makes this more egregious than other situations. But to be honest, I just see it as a guy that made a power play. He had other options. And when one team didn't answer to his options, he looked, he looked elsewhere. You see your GMs doing it, playing the game. You have owners do it in the past. Now you just get into a position where a young coach saw that he could do it. And it was based on a relationship. So as much as you blame kids, Milwaukee allowed him to do it. Oh, Milwaukee's ownership is to blame equally, if not more so, to uh, to blame for how they handle this because they never talked to the current head coach, Larry Drew, or the current GM, John Hammond, about this at all. It was just between ownership and Jason Kidd the day after the draft. The NBA draft was Thursday. They talked to Kidd on Friday, and, you know, behind everybody's backs. So Milwaukee, you know, good luck to them. They better win. They better win because uh, a hard market. W- winning winning cures a lot. A hard but market. some folks don't forget. That's a good point. You know, a hard so market. I can't argue that one. And and you know, Doc, you are correct. It happens. It's a doggy dog world, and and, uh, and you also said that make it right. So it's not right. It's not the first time kid has stabbed folks in the back. Won't be the last time. And he'll probably ask for John Hammond's job, the general manager of the Bucks' job, in the season, if not sooner. So 
that, that that's his well, MO. I already heard that they're gonna make some concessions for him to have some power in terms of Technically he's still gonna be the he'll be the coach. But I've heard they're saying that he's Technically he's gonna be the coach. You said that twice now. Unofficially, other things may be in the works. <laughs> but uh, the Bucks are trading uh two second round picks to the Nets for kids. Is that a lot? Services, no. Okay. So that's why I say so the Nets are holding Milwaukee out was for a first round pick, but they weren't, you know poison about that. You know, kid was jealous of the contract, the money, the money that Steve Kerr and Derek Fisher received, you know, but from again, their ownership teams. Ownership so, at Golden State started it. And that was a relationship based on friends. Oh, I, I don't have a They didn't have to pay him that much money, but because there was a friendship there. You know, my my they problem paid is is not with with the money at all. You know, you the point. All one of the things this further reminds us is that contracts aren't worth jack. You sign one, and then if you want, you have the leverage. You want to pull a power play, and you got friends in high places. Well, your contract that means nothing. So don't tell the you know, don't so, tell the NFL fans that with players because they'll fall out and choke you to death because they think the contract. Oh, exactly. Good. And nor should you tell it to. College players that decide whether they can transfer after the coach leaves. When those fans also so say, yeah, all, all to, right, all those, <laughs> all those are examples. You know, help, honor your scholarship, honor your contract. You know, oh yeah, hand, they could walk to him with your hand. I'd say, help me out a little bit. Help me stay. Help me stay. Help me stay. So you know, I'm sorry, I say that much with much sarcasm. And this, you know, and and this began because Jason Kidd demanded a promotion from Brooklyn. And ownership told him no. <laughs> and then I'm really, I doubt Kid was surprised when he was told no, because he probably knew because of his relationship with Lazary at the Bucks. His, what was it, financial analyst, that whoever he managed Kid's money or his yes. financial advisor. Advisor. Who's now part owner of the team. Goes a long way. He figured he got the money so, from being able to advise Kid. So he feels like he owes kid a favor because he wouldn't been in a position to buy the team if he didn't wasn't the agent or advisor for kid. Hey, but a few other interesting twists I about this story is that's basically what he did. Is that uh, a message board had this story two days before it went out? A message board person posted on message board social media. Uh, I didn't even know message boards were still yeah. that big and hot they and heavy. And uh, but he put out there Thursday, how exactly how it played out. That kid went to the front office with, with the Nets, demanded more power. Nets said no, and then left the kid to go to the Bucks. I mean, it, it played out almost exactly as this person put on put on there. And then other media, you know, writers started saying their sources said this and their sources said that, et cetera, and. I, Ironically, some of those sources were probably the message board. So, I I am curious to hear the Bucks press conference when they announce and present the kid to media. I believe it'll be Tuesday, and I hope that the media will ask relevant questions to get their opinions on how this was handled. Just allow them. How do you think? You know, Tell your side of the story. A lot of media, a lot of reports have come out saying that you handled this, how you handled this was poorly. You did Larry Drew wrong. You tried to play a power play, et cetera, et cetera. Mr. Kidd, Mr. Lazary, 
tell us your story. Give us your version of the event. And let them put it out there. So I'm looking forward to how that comes out on Tuesday. You know. So he is going to do it. I hope so. Because it'll be very telling if the ownership would not allow any questions. It's been done. It it sure has. It's been done. It has been done. Right here in town. So we'll see how it all plays out. They made a move and then boom. So we'll see how it all plays out. I'm looking forward to, to following Twitter on Tuesday, the, the reports of uh, the questions that asked or maybe not asked and how everything is. Because let me, the Bucks put out a press release this evening after meeting with Larry Drew, former coach, head coach Larry Drew, this morning after not speaking to him at all Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Let me read the press release. It's short. Probably, probably as short as the meeting was. I'm sure Larry Drew just went to the meeting and said, y'all still going to pay me, right? You know, once that told him yes, okay, then do what you got to do. You know, <laughs> you got to know the check going clear. So yeah, got to know. So you go. Here's home. a press release from the Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have relieved head coach Larry Drew of his duties. The team announced today. Milwaukee Bucks general manager John Hammond stated, "Quote: Despite the challenging season, Larry always handled himself and represented the Bucks in a first-class manner." Larry did the best he could in a difficult situation, especially given all of our injuries. I want to thank Larry for all of his efforts, and we wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors, end quote. Interesting. Larry Drew was hired Short last sweet. year. Short Signed a three-year sweet. contract, got let go, got bumped out after one year. Did he get his money? Yes, he's going to get his money. Jason Kidd, I think, had a, signed a three-year deal with the Nets out of that after one year. Like I said, the Bucks better win. They better win. Hey, and that's a hard market to, to recruit. It was, it was hard to recruit initially because of Milwaukee. It may be even harder now to recruit based on how these things were handled these last couple of yeah, days. Yeah, it just means that the salary to get people in there is going to increase. And uh, Kid is bringing along an, an assistant coach that he had on the net staff with him. Somebody that can uh, do the X's and O's. Somebody that, who has no backbone. Apparently, somebody that can do the X's and O's. Oh, hey, I'm whatever. Cause I, it's, he's he's learning on the fly. So you don't think he can coach? I don't think he's he's his basketball IQ is to a point to where he can. He still has a lot to call learn. a timeout and get some thing and and get a point across and get some things done. Yeah, he has a lot to learn. And also and keep in mind the Nets were spent too much time on the floor. The Nets were a veteran, and it's not relate. Were a veteran squad. So he could say something, and then those players could have said, whatever. He got this kid on the floor and do it. We, we know what needs to be done. <laughs> right. The Bucks are a young squad. And they're going to take what he said. Some of, At least one, I, I can pretty much guarantee that at least one is going to take what he says is gospel. And that's where it's going to be itchy. So we'll see how the Greek Freak and Jabari Parker and the rest of the young Bucks players Take to uh, kids' acumen. Now, with that being said, the names, the two names that have come up and are as replacements, been Lionel Hollins and uh, the guy from uh, from Moscow. Um, I can't pronounce his last name. I know. It, you. It, yeah, I know. You, I know. You, yeah, I, I see his face, face and everything. And, yeah. I, and I've seen the guy before. He's a hell of a coach. And he can do X's and O's. 
the Nets, culture wise, the Nets can come out ahead in this situation. You know, and, truly. And, and it's going to be picks and better coach. But will it, how soon will he be able to adjust to from international to NBA and how quickly? I, I doubt he gets he gets the job, but I, he is, but he is friends with that. Is, I rest my case. The owner. Of That's the, where I was headed with that. He, is, he does have a good relationship with him, and so. he can speak. No, 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 no. I'm talking about he, he can get on the phone and call. and Nobody else understands what's going on in the room except for the two of them. <laughs> Doc, don't laugh. <laughs> I mean, why not? Why not? Why not? I won't try to read. But Lionel Hollins and, and George Carl are, are two names mentioned for the job. In addition to, I'm, I'm looking up the coach's name as we speak. I can, I can, see, his, I can see his face and, and everything on it. His name, you know, we're getting old, listeners. We're getting old. So, uh, any baseball you want to talk about throwing there? I well, hope you know, before we leave there. off of before we leave off of uh, basketball, I do want to talk. Well, we're going to talk about the NBA draft and the Rockets. We're going to talk about them too. So. HBCU connections with uh, Pendarius uh, Williams of Norfolk State, the guard there, will be playing with the Houston Rockets summer league team. So I think that's interesting. This is basically their second HBCU player. Behind the Tennessee State player that was on the team last year. Speaking of that, I was going to ask. I was going to ask that question. Robert Covington. He was you. I was going to bring that. Uh, he was uh, the two. I told everybody nobody. Uh, how did uh, uh, Eric come out? How had uh, how, how I haven't heard if he's been picked up by. by no, uh, I hadn't heard that he's been picked Eric up. Eric Murray. Probably might choose Eric Murray. Yeah, yeah, I, I know heard he did him. have a trial with the Bulls before the draft. So it'll be interesting to see if they're bringing him maybe for camp. That means I in the morning I got to get up and get get around the gym around eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and ask a couple of folks. I'll have that info and I'll post it up as soon as I get my get this, this, that I can speak about. Let's do it. I'll, I'll post it up. Um, you probably could just ask him via Twitter. Or follow him on via Twitter. You know, I've checked his, 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 that his would tweets be, lately. But, he may not want to talk about it. Then again, you never know. These youngsters nowadays, when they get. When, like, he was egregious for other items he liked to put on. And I was, I was going to let that go. <laughs> I was going to let that go. Uh, I was going to let that go. My fault. Okay. All right, then. But all well and good. Spe- uh, now, Doc, you want to get. You want to talk about what you and I have been tweeting back and forth of what's going on with uh, with uh, NMEA? This all season, I, I guess I when I when I read it the first time, I wasn't I wasn't really paying attention. But when I read back over, it wasn't so much that the programs were being disavowed, the scholarships weren't going to be completed out. It was basically, you know, next season, if somebody wanted to stay, but then you got to transfer out to finish up college. They were only that's. Except, I guess I... It, it, well, they cut two programs. Yeah. That, that, and so the automatic thing, was when you cut two programs, you obviously can transfer out without losing a year. I, I understood and that part. my understanding, they were going to pay for their scholarships for a year. I'm not sure of where they were. It didn't really give a great right. indication of whether they are going to honor it all the way to graduation. Um, but the FAMU, um, Florida A&M, for those that don't, are not familiar with the uh, FAMU terminology. Um, as an athletic director, 
that many of you may know uh, in terms of Kellen Winslow Sr., and he is the tight end Hall of Famer in yeah. San Diego Chargers that many people remember for that epic game against Miami. Yeah. They came out on top. But he has entered into the athletic field. He started out as the athletic director at uh, Central State in Ohio, another HBCU. Um, that was an NAL program that recently trans- transitioned to NCAA Division II. Uh, he was let go there, and then he became athletic director at a Division three school in the Wisconsin area, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And was uh, dismissed or let go there. Um, he met the president, which is for time you that recently came on board. That is out of the Ivy League, and she met him at the Super Bowl. Basically, is the words out there. Had a great conversation, at least uh, from the point of view. And and she came on board. Sam, you had an interim athletic director, so they brought him in. Well, one of the issues that are going on at FAMU is from a financial standpoint that they run a deficit in terms of athletics. Well, the board members of FAMU have made it an issue in regards to the president AD that they need to stop running a deficit from the athletic department and that the school does not want to continue to support, support them in terms of the deficit. Non-revenue, more specifically, the non-revenue. No, it doesn't, it, the, he made that decision. Yeah. All it was is talking about they were running like a six, seven million dollar deficit uh, over the last couple of years, about a million some dollars a year. So that all they told him is that they need to stop running the deficit. They didn't tell him how to fix it. They could have generated revenue for all they care. They could have kept the support. So, Kellen Winslow has decided, I'm sure with the support of the president, but the way he's going to deal with the deficit at the beginning, at least, is to cut, make cuts. Part of the cuts are what you're just alluding to, again, with men's, golf and tennis. He's uh, dismissed the track coach. He's dismissed the defensive line coach. Uh, I think his salary, Smalls, was around 80000 uh, The tennis and golf team will save around 60000 a year. I'm not sure with the track coach salary, probably around forty, fifty thousand dollars. So you're talking about at least if these two or two hundred thousand dollars. Some of the other information that's out there is suggesting that um, the MEAC had a rule uh, that if a trip was over ten hours, that you should bus. I mean, you should fly the team. Right. Right. My understanding that fam, you at this point has suggested that they're not going to fly the football team to games over. 10 hours, they'll be on bus, and they're supposed to be able to save some money. So you have a significant number of the alumni that are frustrated about how Kellen Willenslow has been about this. His major statement was that really kind of started the ruckus over this was to the 220 quarterback club at a meeting where he asked him, could he be frank with them? And he told them, fam, you was broken and you cannot be fixed. Without starting over. Some people agree with him. Other folks obviously do not agree with him in regards. Some of them think he's moving too fast. Many of them are asked for a strategic plan. They said he hasn't given them that. So someone supporting said this is nothing new. They think this is something that should have been done. And they want to support him. 
and peed out, and others are like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, this is not the way you handle it. And this is coming from alums. This is coming from a previous AD, Ken Riley, who is a player. Some people would say should be a Hall of Fame a defensive back for Cincinnati, obviously. Uh, uh, and he was a coach as well at um, FAMU. So he has a lot of ties. He doesn't necessarily agree with what's going on, nor does uh, the former head coach, Joe Taylor, who's currently the athletic director of Virginia Union. And he says that the recent firings of assistant football coach and the suspension of two programs will not make up a, you know, a real dent in the seven million dollar deficit that Winslow uh, must address based on what the board has said. Now, so those are some of the issues. In the meeting that they had, I'm just speculating, did anybody bring forth a, um, suggestion or, or, or plan of some sort, or whether alumni, instead of, you know, attacking it the way it's done, uh, in the white schools where you, the, the, the alumni and the boosters says, okay, how much do we need to raise to hold on to what we have right now? You know, how much more do we need to have in, put input, uh, financially instead of just, you know, griping and moaning and expecting somebody else outside to help, you know, to, to, to help to them. I hate to say griping and moaning because I think. The only reason I'm saying that is because. Well, I, 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 you I, had I, a right to say that, but I'm, I'm going to give my frame okay, for why right. I don't right. like to say that. Because I think it's easy to say that alumni uh, should do certain things. But even the big time programs is that they get their alumni to do certain things more than not because they're fully engaged. They're fully aware. And they're given a plan. I don't care who you are, but particularly an educated person that earns a degree, is out in the workplace and being in corporate America. It's hard to get anybody that has experience of usually getting some plan of action and then asking them to give money when they're not hurt hearing too much action. Mm -hmm. And previous times, a lot of times they've done that and they haven't seen much of a change. So I, I look at it a little different, but to add, address the full capacity of your question because I think it is important for those listeners that are trying to figure this out and do have some question about this is that at the same time Kellen Winslow was br brought on board there was a alumnus out of Birmingham named Greg where the president created what they called a alumni uh, FAMU advisory board to the president and basically the athletic director in terms of generating some revenue for the program. They've done that. I don't think they've generated a great deal of money. Um, but I think you also have to look at it, and I talk about this, and people don't always want to hear this, is that this is a deep-rooted problem for HBCUs that is systemic from the same issues that you see about those articles I brought to people's attention in terms of the level of, level of revenue in the playing field that exists uh, back post-slavery all into Jim Crow laws where you still see on this day the issues that deal with redlining. Some people would tell you about the housing practices in the market where people in a lot of ways were taken advantage of. Some people would like to say that they bought over their head. A lot of them were pushed in that direction to be frank. Mm. And you know as well as anybody that African-Americans and other minorities and women 
do not make the same dollar for dollar uh, with their degree and in jobs that other people do, which is a reflection of what you give. You also have the problem that this is a generational wealth issue where you have a lot of times HBCU serving individuals that do not necessarily have long legacies of education within their family. So you're talking about people that don't Pell Grant and different other grant aids, which often means that they have to get student loans, which means if you're not paying them the same what they're supposed to get in the marketplace and they're paying them back the loan, their ability to give back to the institution is not at the same level as when you compare it to non-minority serving institutions. So if we're going to deal with this, and I don't have a problem with people looking at all the issues because it needs to be looked at and trying to figure out really what's going on, but I want to sugarcoat it, and I want to make sure that everybody sees the whole picture in terms of the deprivation uh, that's going on with HBCUs that I continue to talk about, which happens to do with a lot of these institutions are in a part of the country that are run by legislators that happen to be uh, Republican-based, and the Republican-based model, not to say that I agree or disagree with it, I'm not here on a political fight, but they happen to be uh, individuals that believe that people should be more self-sufficient. They believe that those with financial power should be rewarded, and there's a trickle-down theory about that, which unfortunately, even if you believe in that framework, is not associated with HBCUs. So they have even more problems of surviving. They're not getting what they should get oftentimes in terms of the academic side, which obviously is moving into the athletic side, and the final component I will talk about this is the fact, frankly, you have some people that don't believe in HBCUs uh, that they should continue to exist. So you have an issue of financial funding and deprivation from not only the local, but in some cases, the national level. So all these are part and partial of what you're seeing because these are issues that have been up front with Southern University. We've seen it play out two years ago with Grambling. A lot of people tried to deal with that. But most of that issue, again, was the fact that you had a governor in the state of Louisiana that deprived Grambling State, as well as other Louisiana institutions of yeah. higher education. I won't leave them out. It was not just the way that's, he treated it. Yeah. He, he didn't he basically look at education the board and at all, and he dropped everything. Right. you talking about that university in Grambling in particular uh, had lost 30-plus million dollars of funding over said period of time. You also have South Carolina dealing with this same type of issue. So this is a fundamental cause, and I'm not sure people don't understand that in general you have a lot of people that have problems with education because they have increased the value of education in such a way that it's becoming more difficult for any individual to be able to pay for their college education, uh, whether I'm saying minority, black, or any race for that standpoint to make sure that this is clear so people are understanding that. But also the fact when you finally look at all this uh, issue is is that you have institutions now that are part of the SEC. Let's just call it out the big five institutions, Big okay. Ten, Big Twelve, ACC, the uh, Pac Twelve, Pac Twelve. Thank you, and the Big Ten, obviously, that have made billions of dollars in television revenue, which they have organized and done a very good job of it. But a lot of it is off the back of people of color mainly African-American young men that are not getting paid, and whether you agree with the philosophical component of it, all this money has gone to these institutions that they've been able to 
provide additional value for the institutions. And now these same legislatures are going back and say, hey, look, they were able to do it. Why can't you? Yes. You know, it's, it's sad, but it's a true statement. And it's going, it's, now it's becoming universal uh, that the, uh, especially that all governors now, well, let me rephrase that. Some of the governors, especially in the, uh, the big state schools, uh, they are now starting to just go across the board, higher education that's cutting their budget and using money on general funds. And that's where we are. Education is a afterthought up and down the line. We experienced it. We're starting to experience that here in the state of Texas. And we'll hopefully we don't get into a uh, bog down into into the mud, no, and uh, and to start to lose out. You got something on your on your mind now, young? Yeah, we have, yeah. I want to touch on a lot more topics in in our podcast. <clears throat> but where else are you gonna hear what we discuss? Except this podcast, and we're gonna continue to discuss a couple of things. I just want to touch on a few topics here. A few more today. The NCA reopened its its investigation and. University of North Carolina over its academic misconduct. That's one that's based in part on Rashad McCann's interview with, with ESPN's Outside the Lines and what he said about having people write his papers for him and things like that. So look for that. It was closed. It's open again. There's a quote at the end of it, an article saying the NCA stopped ignoring the North Carolina case because they couldn't get away with it anymore. Wow. So look for that. We want to touch on that. We had, uh, now the trial is over. Now we're getting into the NCA and Ed O'Bannon's sides. Uh, how should I phrase it, Doc? Presenting more information to the judge for her to make her decision. She's going to expect to make her decision, her ruling yeah, in August. At the, at the end of the trial, she comes up and does a question with both. A Q&A, basically. Q&A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her expectation is, based on some of her questions, that she will be debriefed uh, with a summary in regards to both the plaintiffs. In, in regards are they to having the closing arguments now? Or they well, no, they did their closing arguments. I mean, but it's, it. it's, it's they've already done that, but that's what I'm saying. No, the part of the trial is over. But what she asked for after that is a debriefing, uh, where she asked for two different things. Where they, when she asked the questions, that, that are open, they can provide some feedback then, but she wants it written in such a way that when she does her decision, she has all the answers that that she needed in terms of making a final decision. And the second part that she also asks them for is if she decides for the plaintiffs um, that there is a framework of how this must be meted out. Okay. And, and in that case, there is some way for the defendant which is the NCA in this case, where they can make some suggestions about how they would go about uh, meeting out uh-huh. if some things go in that direction based on the plaintiff. But remember, this is different than what you're probably used to in terms of a criminal court case. This is what's provided in terms of a judge at that level. So that's how it works out versus when you look at a criminal trial when you have your closing right. part of the case and then the judge goes off, looks at everything, comes back, makes a decision. Or if you have a jury, they go off uh, with the evidence 
so remediate it, their decision and comes back. Is it more of a, a civil class action or just a civil person against It's not a entity? civil it's, it's a case, but it's similar in a lot of ways to a civil court. So this is a remediation of the fact where they ask for a judgment from the judge. Okay. Versus the and basically, as Doc put, touched on, both sides are going to submit, this is what I'm trying to say, they're going to submit legal briefs yeah. to clarify the argument to the judge who is expected to issue an, an order in early August. And one of the people that all three of us have followed during this case, Sports Illustrated's Michael McCann, he has an article that you can uh, check. It's in my, my uh, Twitter timeline, and he lays out the possibilities of uh, how the judge w- would rule if she rules in favor of Edelman inside the plaintiff or if she rules in favor of the NCAA the defendant side or meets halfway in her judgment and the ramifications of each of her decision in those three possibilities. Great info on that. The coach, name a coach that I could not think of moments ago, Atori Messina, E-T-T-O-R-E, Last name Messina, M-E-S-S-I-N-A. He's an Italian professional basketball coach, and he has coached in Moscow, uh, CSKA, Moscow team. He's won almost everywhere he's been. Uh, Italian league. He's won the EuroLeague championship four times. The name EuroLeague coach of the year. He's won the Italian league championship. He's won the Russian league championship five times. The Russian cup twice. And folks don't know this, but he was a, a consultant for the LA Lakers. Uh, during that 2011-2012 season, so he does have some experience in the NBA. But I don't expect him to get the job. I think um, Lionel Hollins, George Carl, other guys probably ahead of him in the pecking order. Lionel Hollins will be interviewed for the Nets. Anything possible, you know, as Wildcat did touch on, Messina and Prokhorov, the owner of the Nets, do have a relationship. But we'll see how, if that results in him getting the job. He may be on the staff, but we'll see how it all plays out. But we touched on that. NBA draft was Thursday. The highlight of the draft for me was Commissioner Silver's time, second time out to announce that the NBA has selected Baylor's first class. Isaiah Austin, who you don't see that every day. Whose career was cut short because of Marfan syndrome. Uh, kudos, Commissioner Silver. He gets it. It was a great moment. I was at uh, Toyota Center in the workroom. Watching that, uh, been watching, waiting for the Rockets to be, to uh, draft at 25. What was the response in the room? Kudos to my man, um, Adam Wexler. Uh, the young man who was drafted, Clint Capella, was one of the three names that Wex did tweet about Rockets possibly taking before the pick was done. So he, he did have, uh, got that right. Capella is from Switzerland, but he played pro, he's played pro ball in France the past three years, 6'11, 20 years old, raw. But not as raw as Bruno, who was a young man the Raptors took. And, uh, Fran Fischilla said of Bruno that Bruno was two years away from being two years away. So, one, wow. of, the, one of the greatest quotes ever. Whoa. But, uh, Clint Capella and the Rockets introduced, uh, Clint Capella and That's Nick Johnson. Mean. That's mean, man. Second That's round pick today at, at this morning press conference. Thursday, after they were, the post game had that conference call with both of them. And Clint mentioned to us that uh, he has hopes of playing with the Rockets this season. 
And so uh, it was touched on a little bit in today's press conference. Daryl Morey said it, it's possible he will probably play for the summer league team, but we'll see how it all works out in terms of contract, uh, international contract, and if he will be able to play. The chances are, if he's if they reach an agreement, he'll spend a lot of his time in the D League Development League because he he's got potential, and he was one of the high, the unknown sleepers, let's say. That a lot of teams were probably coveting if the Rockets did not draft him at 25. So he definitely would not have been around when the Rockets selected Nick Johnson in the second round. And uh, it's funny, I, I didn't know about this because I don't eat sleep on Twitter, but apparently during the uh, college season, well, just say months ago, Nick Johnson put on Twitter, put on Twitter, excuse me, that quote. James Harden plays no defense. End quote. Then so the reference the to tweet, what? the tweet was what, quickly what deleted. So he just spoke the truth to me because James Harden doesn't play any defense. So, so basically, you know, what I'm saying is, if you get, if if, if you pick up a free agent and you have two people out on the floor not playing defense, what are the other three guys doing? So, you know, I'm just asking. What well, well, see? Well, James Harden said he's going to be do, do a better job playing defense this season. Said that last, said the same thing last season before the season started. But you know, the, I think fans made a bigger deal out of the Rocket fans, just fans, media, whatever, saying probably brought it up at the press conference. What do you, what you did tweet about Harden playing no, no defense then, and he, he deleted it. Whatever, it's the truth. All of us have said James Harden doesn't play defense. Well, that's so, true. so now the teammates. So and. So James Harden will get a chance to baptize him in practice one-on-one, light him up a couple of times. Won't change the fact that James Harden still plays no defense until he actually plays defense in the NBA full-time. So whatever, I don't really – what's the point? That's true. So Nick I Johnson agree. played – he, he tweeted what he felt. And what a lot of folks have felt said a lot during the playoff when we saw James Harden just allow folks to blow right past him numerous times in the first round against the Blazers. He plays no defense. It's up to James Harden to prove Nick Johnson wrong, which I think would be better for the Rockets if he actually played defense and plays both ends of the floor instead of just scoring all the time. Right. So, you know, that's a much to do about nothing right there. Nick Johnson, if you did not know, was uh, Dennis Johnson's nephew. Yeah. One of, you know, one of DJ's nephews. Uh, I didn't realize yeah. uh, that. One, one of our players here in town, uh, former college players here in town, Informed me of that a uh, while back. Are you going to say the young man's name? You just going to, you, you know, I mean, Brock Gillespie, <laughs> man. You, 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 afraid to say the man's name? Brock played for DJ, was coach of the Austin, was it the Toros in the D League? Yeah. And Brock played for, uh, for DJ in that team. And, okay. and, uh, so Brock told me many times how much he, he learned from, uh, from DJ when he, when he was, uh, coaching the team. And Brock was very, very hurt. At the, when, when DJ passed away suddenly, so it touched him, touched him greatly. Sure. So um, a lot of things we're touching on there. A couple of things. One, another sad note that uh, I heard about and did not know about uh, the accident. Um, UTSA former head coach yeah. uh, Ray Ripito Blair was killed in a motorcycle accident Friday afternoon in Austin. She was 52 years old, and it's it's sad. Obviously, she she lost her life, which is ultimate. 
but how she, the way she lost her life, she was riding a motorcycle to Austin. She had agreed to sell the motorcycle to a buyer, and she was riding the bike back to drop off the bike to the buyer and receive payment, and then one of her friends was going to drive her back to San Antonio. And on the way, she was apparently close to her destination, and something happened, and uh, accident, and and she lost her life. So, you know, clearly the UTS, UTSA athletic department and and uh, coaches and the coaching friends and family are, are are saddened by the tragedy. Uh, the funeral will be held uh, Tuesday. Visitation was Tuesday, and the funeral will be Wednesday. Uh, I tweeted that link to that article to that information. Uh, this morning when I heard about it. Um, so prayers and condolences to, to her friends and family. And, uh, you know, UTSA, I saw her when she played teams in the area. She can coach. She was, I believe she was, she left UTSA as a winningest coach yeah. in women's basketball. Because they had gone to the tournament twice, two years back to back. 2008, 2009. Correct. Very good, Wildcat. You're a novel man. That's what we got. That's exactly. That's why you're on these podcasts. Exactly. All right. All right. So uh, may she rest in peace. On a lighter, lesser note, um, also women's basketball, college basketball, Duke Alexis Jones is no longer at Duke. She has her release. She has transferred. She's from Irving, Texas. Played at MacArthur. Uh, is it Irving, Irving MacArthur High yeah, School? I think, yeah. They, they, won, they won state, and she helped them win state when she was there. She's transferring closer to be closer to home. I was joking with you, Wildcat. How close is Houston to Irving? Is it close enough to get her to become, become a cougar at U of H? Hey, I mean, she'll find out. I'd rather I'd like to see her go, to, if not U of H, go to SMU because it's close. And it's then, in a conference of the American Athletic Conference. And then, then you got TCU Close right there. I don't want to go to TCU because that's the Big 12. That's somebody that covers more. She may want uh, to go to And TCU. that's fine, like I said. You know, and he that, said what he wanted. I said what, what I want, not what she wanted. <laughs> you know, she, because she, she I'm going to tell you like go, I talked to the parent. That kid, may, that child is the one that's going to school, not you. Exactly. I'm not, I have not spoken to her. So <laughs> I'm saying you go force her. So I'm just saying I think – I would I would like her to go if not U of H to go to SMU because uh, it would upgrade the talent in the American Athletic Conference. That's where I'm coming from. Because it it UConn needs a competition in the conference. Now that's true. That's where I'm coming from. That's that's all I'm talking about. She doesn't go to U of H, go to SMU, it's keeping it at state. And she said she's gonna be transferring closer to home. Well, we got two the teams in the American. How close was on? You know, nah. So that's what I'm that's, that's where why, I'm coming from. That's why I, the first word, first three letters out of my mouth was TCU. And you are uh, you are being difficult. Apparently, I am saying the reason why I'm saying this is for her to stay get in the American Athletic Conference, not the Big Twelve. That's why I said SMU or U of H. Am I being difficult? It sure sounds like it. Yes, I think so. That's close to home. Anyhow, Doc, how can folks find you on the internet? They can get me off social media platforms as Twitter. Instagram or Facebook, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L, D R K E N 
Y-E-P-P-A-C-A-V-I-L. And uh, again, you can get me at the College Sporting News for the reports during the fall season. Those will be coming out pretty quickly. And then we'll tell you about as you get in the basketball season at the HRR, the Houston Round Ball Review.com. And you can email me directly with questions. Uh, I've had a couple of questions about this issue in regards to FAMU and my thoughts on it. So I've written some reports on the MEAC Fan Zone as well as Onadon.com in regards to the options that I see them having in terms of trying to different ways that you can financially make uh, uh, changes. Uh, but several things have to happen. So if you're interested in reading on that, you can look up uh, FAMU uh, on either the midfanzone.com or well as the onadon.com or send me an email, I'll send it to you directly. That's at kcavilla phd-agency.com. Had a lot of people follow me lately on Twitter, uh, so I appreciate that and some recent Facebook uh, invites as well. So I want to say thank you. You can find the Wildcat on Blogger, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck. And on Blogger, The College Sports Report, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, J.L. Woodley 1. Young. Anything else you want to say? Uh, not else? Not... No, not at, not, not at this time. Not at this you... time. Because I know you had a teaser a little while ago about yeah, the oh, yeah, going on. Yeah. You're not going to ready to uh, No, because it, it, it's involving some classwork that I got okay. to, to finish out. And until I get the classwork done, uh, it's on the schedule once a month, only because there's only one instructor that's uh, capable of getting that done, and that's an eight-hour class. Few few things. IMKG, Houston Round Bar Review. Uh, website is HoustonRoundBarReview.com as well as VHRR.com. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube, on Twitter, I am THEHR Review. We're hours, what heck, less than two hours away from the official start of free agency in the NBA where front office execs will be on doorstep of their top person they hope to sign, woo recruit, convince to join their, their team or stay with their team. A few things I want to say here. ESPN.com, Mark Stein saying that the Toronto Raptors are are confident that they will be able to re-sign Kyle Lowry, former Rocket. I know the Rockets were possibly considering having interest in Kyle Lowry coming back to the Rockets. The Heat were possibly uh, going to make a run at Kyle Lowry. Still may do so, but Mark Stein saying that the Raptors' offer to uh, Kyle Lowry will start at $12 million per year. Really? $12 million for Kyle Lowry. Really? Yes. He's staying in Toronto. Really? Thank you very much. Yes. Kyle he, Lowry. He is... was an all-star this year. Well, I can actually see that for Toronto. They made a big splash last year in terms of going to the playoffs. They have a solid team. They're trying to make, make different steps. They actually got the city behind them like, you know, almost never before in terms of basketball. So why would you want to interrupt that? And if it means that you have to pay a little more money uh, for a player to stay in town, why wouldn't you do it? It's not like you're going to be on the open market to get big-time stars to come in uh, for the other financial things. So you need the first thing you got to do is you got to keep those players you can keep, which means you probably got to pay a little more. And so in this case, I don't necessarily see it as a bad deal. I do understand what you're saying, that 
that is far above probably what he's going to get on the general market. But if you really look at the franchise that's doing it, I think in a lot of ways it makes sense. And uh, Carmelo Anthony, since hardly anybody expects LeBron James now to uh, leave the Heat. Yeah. Carmelo Talk Anthony is the top free agent. Um, he will visit the Bulls on Tuesday, the Rockets and Mavs on Wednesday, and then the Lakers on Thursday. That's the plan. That's the itinerary. I guess Melo wants to, you know, he'll visit all four teams. But, but what's, who's to say that the Bulls will knock him out? That's impressing him with some tremendous presentation on Tuesday. And Melo says, well, I'm done. I don't need to go see anybody Yeah, I else. think at this time, I think he he wanted so bad to be a free agent. I think it's hard for me to believe. Even though he may be that impressed with the Bulls, I think he's going to take the courtesy trip to Dallas and Houston regardless. And see, that's what I would encourage anybody to do. Like I'll tell any high school kid, you're being recruited. Make your visits, man. Take all five of them. Yeah. You got them? Take them. You, you know, know, hey, on their dime, yep. enjoy yep. it. That's right. They paying for it. They, they paying for the world. it. That's right. See they the paying for it. you can. See different parts of areas that you haven't seen. Uh, different areas. You already know where you might want to go. But uh, never close doors before you get a chance to walk through the camp. And as we discussed in our last podcast, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh joined LeBron out of their contract. Now, that's going to set up everything for and for whom? I'm talking about as far as the, the, what's going to be the, the, the end result. I, with I them think doing the end that, result is going to allow them to be able to bring in another player. We now, thought who, a lot of it was going to be Lowry, but it looked like that's out. And then there were some tech, second-tier guards that uh, they were interested in. As well, Jameer Nelson has been waived by Orlando. So that's a possibility. That's a possibility. So there's some Trevor Reza. There's another the Wizards. Yeah. Uh, so they looking at they 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 basically what's the looking at the big man uh, from uh, Washington Wizards. Marcin Gortat. Gortat. So there's some players that they're going to be in the market for. But as I told everybody, no, Gasol. the key. Yeah, Gasol was a name out there, but I think Gasol is going to end up coming back to the Lakers. The question is, are they going to be able to agree on the price range? And I think that's going to change based on whether the Lakers. Can somehow get uh, Melo as well as LeBron James to come out there. Once they kind of move past that as being a dream, then I think they're going to come back to the table with Gasol and kind of decide what they want to pay. So I think you're going to see people as those chips fall into mm-hmm. place, those underneath them are going to start to fall into place because it's going to determine what teams can pay those players. They would rather to pay somebody more. You're going to see some teams also start to get a little desperate, kind of like Toronto. So they might start playing above the market rate uh, for a player, similar like Gasol, uh, based on what they originally probably wanted to pay him if they were able to get another big name star in. I think that's the way you'll start seeing it play out. But the final thing I wanted to say about uh, the Heat was the key to all this is, I said earlier, and you chimed in a lot too, was really about Wade. What was Wade going to do? And I always thought in a lot of ways because of Wade wanted to retire in Miami and that he is the type of guy that understands legacy. And I think he knows that he's going to get his money from Miami a long time in terms of mm-hmm. he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to get it all up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's going to be able to get it in the spread out there and probably get more. But I also think he knows that he's going to be a part of that organization. He's going to be failed paid very well from that organization. So uh, I never doubted that he was going to take less. But I think he was the key uh, because he didn't have to. 
That's true. And once he made that decision, it allowed the rest of the pieces to fall in place because he had the most, quote unquote, to lose financially uh, by opting out versus opting in. And so many people were looking at that $42 million over two years, which is a lot. But I figured that he would take less. But I think the real key is not just him taking less, but how long did he think he was going to play? If he thought he just had two more years in him or he was tired and really looking at one year, mm-hmm. I think he would opt in. But I think this is also an indication that unless his body falls apart even more, that he's going to look at playing three to five more years. Speaking of playing, you had it's, we've talked about a lot about the NBA tonight. You didn't give out a grade. Or did you grade this year's uh, draft nope. run? Nope. Who do you think lucked out and and got their guy that would fit in immediately? Not just with the the first five or six guys, but after that, when they the further down it dropped off. The Bulls getting trading for Doug McDermott. Great trade. Be another big for them that's going to... They can shoot. They can shoot. They Doug can shoot. They need scores. They need scores. And they're going to be able to get in shots. If, so if Derrick Rose is healthy, going to try to kick it out, they're Doug McDermott can shoot. And you need, in that offense, you need somebody to shoot. And they're going to be able to play enough defense that his last is on the defense. And I'm not saying that he's all that bad in defense, but the way they play defense thematically is going to hide some of his defense deficiencies, particularly as a rookie trying to understand how they want to play defense. And so I agree with you. I think that was a big move when you look at the whole part and parcel of what it's in the league. But I would say overall, pretty much the top ten were pretty good moves in terms of when you look individually at franchises and what they needed at the time uh, were not really that bad. Be patient, Sixers fans. Be patient. At some point, everybody be healthy. At some point. So Bruno, this year. so Bruno was probably the, the that was a shocker. That, that, that was I, I wouldn't would. say that was the only shocker. But based on reading afterwards, Toronto did a lot of homework on him, and, and uh, so it was it a shock to us, right? But, done but they did the homework on him. So and again, to me, that's a market where it makes sense because you're not able to get players to necessarily stay. So it probably is easy to get international players to stay that want to be in the NBA. Gotcha. Getting gotcha. an American at once he gets through his three years or whatever. Dollar value. Yeah, he's gonna, he's going to be trying to come back to the states, which means you're going to have to overpay, overpay him, like you seen allowed. Right. So I think they're going to have to do it slightly different, similar to what you see with San Antonio. I think you're also going to start finding a lot of the small market teams realize that they're going to have to be a little more creative in terms of maybe going a little more international. You kind of see that with Mark Walker. You might start seeing that with. Cleveland, but you're going to see these smaller market teams, in my opinion, those that understand the marketplace in general may start to look a little more outside from an international perspective in terms of American-born players because they can't keep them. And I'm going to go out on a small limb. Don't be surprised if Pac Gasol goes to the Heat. Oh, I like that. I like that bit of information. Let's, let's keep record. Let's follow that one. Good tease, good, good, good. 11.01 Central Time. Free agency begins. The team can sign players once the NBA announces the number, crunches all the numbers, and announces what the salary cap will be officially. So it should be around July 10th. We'll have a moratorium for a few days, but the fun is about to begin. 
looking forward to it. Summer League is around the corner as well. And it's time for the coaches to hit the road on the recruiting trail in college. Mm-hmm. It's an upcoming weekend. And then uh, as that starts, then that means football season, college football season. By the way, Doc, is, uh, next around time the corner. we show up, we'll both be in football mode because our media days will be around the corner. It's been a week, two weeks away. That's right. So once Vienna. again, once I think we touched. Oh, last, I hate to end on this note, but Donald Sterling's doctor, Declared him mentally competent. The gift that keeps on giving. So he, his doctor said he's mentally competent. So it's which one? The one that he fired or the one that he cussed out on the? On no, his personal doctor. His personal he paid position. To say that he was hey, I thought the guy that he cussed out on the radio uh, on the on the telephone was his personal doctor. They weren't necessarily his personal doctors. They were doctors that he went to. Uh, but according to the judge that said it, he says. In his opinion, he'll say, I'll look at this, but I don't know why you waste my time. The, the contract in terms of the family document is so clear that it says that you only need two doctors to declare him incompetent in, in terms of what he's able to do. And he says, you can provide what you want. It doesn't change what's in writing. So it'll be interesting to see if he can somehow manipulate. But I don't think it looks very good now, no matter what his doctor says. Thank you very much, gentlemen, as always. This was enlightening. Listeners, thank you very much to all of our uh, new Facebook followers. And the number has tripled. Not just doubled, they tripled in the number of likes we have now on our uh, podcast Facebook fan page. And might as well tie it in right there. We're still looking for sponsors of uh our podcast we're proud of the work we do so uh the information is on the uh, website houstonroundbarview.com the hrr.com look for sponsors we believe the prices are reasonable and we're growing help us grow help us help you grow so look for the podcast listen, listen out on itunes for the podcast on soundcloud.com for the podcast the direct mp3 link which i'll have on twitter so you can follow uh, the three of us on Twitter and, and they'll retweet the links and I'll post the links. And, um, just got information from Mark Spears, president of the National Association of Black Journalists, as well as writer for, uh, Yahoo Sports, Ian Bay beat writer, that the Raptors are planning to offer Kyle Lowry a contract starting at $14.5 million. Wow. Wow. As I said earlier, he's staying in Toronto. So, yes, sir. So there Those we go. Dollars- they, they, and for you, the most part, that on international, on, on I, any level, I, I, fourteen million. I, I doubt you'll see many of the top tier free agents leave. I think they're going to resign with their their current team. But I'm going to stick with what I said. Probably saw go to the Heat. Going to wrap it up as I always do. I think I said everything about the LinkedIn. MP3s, how to find us on iTunes and YouTube and, and everything else. Yeah. And uh, all those uh, great things. We're not sure when the next podcast is going to be. One of the three of us has a momentous occasion that's going to take place in the next few days. So we'll, we'll, uh, and he's standing by the phone. Just, just carrying it on his hip. Keep following us on Twitter to know when we're going to have our, our next podcast. Listeners, thank you as always for uh, your support. Thank you for sharing the links to the tweets and the podcast and all those great things. 
in conclusion. Be true, be cool, and do more.